0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. Um, I wanted to start by uh, quickly introducing myself, in case I haven't met you yet. Um, My name is Ivy, I'm part of the preaching team here at Revolution. Um, If we have met, it's probably been in the preschool room back in uh, Kids. Uh, That's where I do the majority of my teaching here at Revolution. And that's where my comfort zone is too. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that and hopefully that helps me calm down and then I'll feel more comfortable talking to all of you. Um, Right, so uh, yeah, a few times a year, Kenny uh, offers me the opportunity to share thoughts with all of you. And uh, I appreciate the time to pray and to think and study scripture and to learn and then share um, kind of what God is showing me with all of you. Uh, And I really do count it a privilege to be able to teach to all of you. Um, In preschool, the curriculum cycles through these three main truths that we want young kids to know. And we teach them every year, over and over. And I think I've taught them the past 11 years that I've taught in preschool, right? And they are, God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my friend forever. Um, And the thing is, the more sermons I hear, the more I study the Bible, the more I think these are main truths that we as adults need over and over again too. And much of what we learn and much of what we study, um, yeah, comes down to these these things. And so sometimes I like to play a game in my head on Sunday mornings called, which preschool truth does Kenny's sermon fit into? and, you know, last week he spoke about love, so that's God loves me. Anyway, if you want to play that this morning um, with mine, you can. Uh, but I'll give away the answer. I think it's that Jesus wants to be my friend forever. Um, and I hope that that truth comes through uh, in my words this morning. But really our topic for this morning, as has already been said, is joy. Right? We're in the third week of Advent. Um, Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, a time in the church calendar that's set aside to feel the anticipation of celebrating Jesus' birth on Christmas day, and also the anticipation of Jesus' future return to earth. As Kenny said a couple weeks ago, during Advent, we reflect on the challenges of waiting, on the promises and the character of God. In the past several years at Revolution, we've explored these themes of Advent uh, through the lectionary, and which is just a tool the historic church has used um, to pattern their teaching scripture. And each week, the lectionary provides us with three to four passages of scripture to read and to study and to try to find connection between them. So, in the past two weeks um, of Advent, right, we spoke about, Kenny spoke on the themes of hope and of love. And this third week, uh, we're speaking about joy. Joy is a word that we hear thrown around a lot this time of year, right? We see it in holiday decorations. We sing it in songs. um, And at our house, I brought along a prop. (laughs) We have this sign uh, that John's grandmother made and it hangs on the back of our front door every year at Christmas. Um, kind of as a reminder of this word of joy in our home. A funny story, this year, my five-year-old daughter, Jemiah, um, was unpacking Christmas decorations after I had said to her, please wait, we're going to do that tomorrow. And she responded from the other room, too late. <laughs> she comes out with this sign. The first thing she pulled out, she goes right to the door takes off the sign that we have a sign that says, be kind, because we need that reminder in our house all the time, be around. Uh, she takes down the be kind sign and hangs up this sign, the first thing. And um, it was just a sweet reminder of joy and the tradition of this sign in our home. I mean, she also told us that this says Jemiah yeah. because she's learning her letters and anything right now that starts with J says Jemiah. So. Um, but yes, joy, joy and rejoice, right? Rejoice is the verb form of joy. We'll hear that word a lot, um, as we study this morning as well. Um, yeah. So what does it mean? Joy. If you look it up in the dictionary, here's what I found. Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. The emotion evoked by well-being Success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Right? Joy here in the dictionary seems like this amped up happiness, right? It comes when we do well or when we get what we want. This definition of joy is very circumstantial, unlike our present situation. But when I think of joy, when I think of biblical joy, and the Bible talks about joy, that's not what I think of, and I think that you would probably agree. This biblical joy is not circumstantial on my life circumstance right now. The Bible tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit, the part of God that lives in us, is our access point to joy. So then I did a little search on definitions for biblical joy. Um, From now on, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about joy. Just forget about the dictionary definition. We've already thrown that out. Um, And I found two definitions that I'd like to share uh, with you from kind of big name pastor authors. The first is from Rick Warren and he gives this definition of joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. John Piper says this of joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Joy is dependent on who Jesus is and our hope in him, not on our earthly circumstances. Joy is a feeling that we access through the Holy Spirit. He allows us to know and to believe in God's beauty and goodness in our life. So using these definitions of joy and taking a look at three scripture passages provided from the lectionary, I'd like to propose two main points for today. Um, The first is that joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive. That they can and I would even argue need to be experienced together. And the second is that by looking back and by looking forward, we see who God is, what he has done, what he promises. And in this, we find joy and the ability to rejoice. Joy is what we're supposed to feel right now in this season of Christmas. And I love Advent. I like the candles, the familiar rhythms and words, the songs, um, I anticipate all these things and the excitement and I rejoice in all these experiences. But this year and this season, um, it also feels especially sorrowful to me. Uh, my grandfather died the day before Thanksgiving uh, and he was dearly loved. There's a lot of good parts in my life that I can trace back to him. Uh, My love of nature and of hiking, um, just a stable, loving, Christian home, Um, always wanting to make or do something with my hands, having a project half-finished, laying around somewhere. And he will be dearly missed, and my family mourns him not being here this season. But there's more mundane things, too like the sibling quarrels that are at an all-time high in my house that have made me lose my patience more than ever and wonder why did I think this parenting thing was ever a good idea? (laughs) And then there's things that I just don't have words for yet or can't quite put a finger on. I just feel tired and tears come easy lately. And that's just the sorrow that I'm feeling. Right, our church holds this sorrow and this joy together as we celebrate the Christmas season in the midst of all our equipment being stolen that week of Thanksgiving. And if we widen the circle even further, if we think about sorrow our neighbors are feeling, our city, our country, the world, if we think about broken relationships, right, oppressive authority, difficult family dynamics that people are even more aware of at the holidays? Sickness, natural disaster, war, right? I'm sure you could easily add more things to that list very quickly, right? There is real sorrow in our world. Sorrow is a reality, joy and sorrow. I want us to hold these two words together as we look at our passages of scripture. Our first reading, and these are on your paper if you'd like to follow along. The first reading comes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet whose purpose, like most of the Old Testament prophets, was to call God's people back to God when they had taken on destructive practices from their neighboring nations. But Isaiah also brings a message of hope. He tells of God's salvation to come um, through the coming Messiah. He brings messages of judgment and of hope, of sorrow and of joy. In chapters one through 34 of Isaiah, he has delivered a message mainly of judgment um, for people rejecting God. But in chapter 35, which is where we're going to read, um, Isaiah speaks a vision of beauty and of encouragement, of God's mercy for those who um, have sinned but put their trust in God. Chapter 34 has just spoken of times of great distress and sorrow, And here comes chapter 35, a picture of the days when life will be peaceful and joyful and everything will be made right. Okay, so we'll read this, This Isaiah 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame shall leap like deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Uh, There are several places referred to in these verses that would have been familiar to the people Isaiah was speaking to, um, but are probably not familiar uh, to us. It says, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And these three places, Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon, are known for their lush beauty. They're all along the Mediterranean sea coast. They were away from the wilderness. Here they represent prosperity. And Isaiah is painting a picture of a time of prosperity for God's people. A time when the promises of God will come to fruition. Um, I found this really interesting, but several of the phrases Uh, in isaiah 35 directly contradict phrases of judgment um, and curse that were in isaiah 34 and so i just wanted to point out a few of those um, for you this morning in chapter 34 verse 13 isaiah says of the land it shall be the haunt of jackals right and we just read in 35 this is reversed and it says the habitat of jackals is turned into a swamp now, if I were Isaiah, swamp is probably not the word I would have changed that habitat into, but a swamp does have both water and land, and it is a improvement over desert and jackals, right? So that's being, being reversed. Um, in Isaiah 34.10, Isaiah says, no one will pass through the land forever and ever. In 35, this land is turned into a highway will be there. It will be called the holy way. In Isaiah 34, 13 through 15, it says the land is cursed. It's populated with jackals, ostriches, wild cats, and more. And then as we heard in 35, it says no lion will be there. No ravenous beast will come upon it. Isaiah is looking forward to this time when the consequences of sin and bad choices will completely disappear in Jesus' return to earth. And the last thing I wanted to point out about these here is the words it says, "and come to Zion." Right? Zion refers to a spiritual and an eternal city where Jesus will reign. Isaiah looks forward and he speaks of God's promises for our future, a time when Jesus will return, when everything will be made right, when people will only, he says, experience joy and gladness. He says there will be no more sorrow. But We live in this in-between time, this time of yes and, where there is sin, consequence, sorrow, and joy and gladness. We're working to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, where we can see and feel glimpses of what Zion will be like. And we fall short, we sin, we experience sorrow. Jesus has come, he sacrificed for our sins, and we wait for his earthly return and the fulfillment of all God's promises. We hold joy and sorrow. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. Um, prior to the verses that we're going to read, Mary has been visited by an angel. Um, and the angel told Mary that she is going to give birth to God's son, Jesus. The angel also has told Mary that her relative, Elizabeth, Uh, who is old, it says, and thought to be barren, um, is also going to have a baby. So Mary travels to see Elizabeth, and when Mary greets Elizabeth, the Bible says Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She knows about Mary being pregnant, um, that the baby will be Jesus, and she calls Mary blessed. And Mary responds with these verses that we're gonna read, and they are often referred to as Mary's song. I'm not going to sing them for you. You're welcome. (laughs) We'll just read them. This is found in Luke 1, uh, 46 through 55. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. In these verses, Mary is celebrating what God is going to do for the world through her. Jesus is going to be born. But if we think about Mary's situation, she is a poor, young, unmarried, pregnant woman in a patriarchal society that respects age. It's not hard for us to see where there could be real, logical worry and fear and sorrow in the midst of the joy that Mary sings about here. But Mary's song, it looks back through generations. She remembers what God has done for his people. She emphasizes God's mercy and his grace and she looks forward to the same for future generations. Mary rejoices in the Lord in the midst of her circumstances. I think Mary must have held both joy and sorrow. Our third scripture is from the New Testament book of James. James is the brother of Jesus, and in his letter that he's written here, he expresses concern for persecuted Christians, and he's aiming to teach right Christian behavior. And we're going to read James 5, 7 through 10. It says, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Here, James is urging the early church to look forward to the coming of Jesus, but to do it with patience. They can't make Jesus come back any sooner. We can't make Jesus come back any sooner. But we can do work to show God's love in the same way that a farmer must do work as he waits for his crops to be ready for harvest. And James encourages them to help each other to feel love and to show love, even if they feel like grumbling. And he says, remember the prophets from the Old Testament who took on suffering and who were patient in the Lord's hope. All this teaching that James gives the early church, I think translates very easily to us. We're still living in this in-between time, the time of Jesus coming to an earth as a baby, growing and teaching, sacrificing so that we can have forgiveness, and a time of waiting for him to come back to earth for everything to be made good and right. And as James says, we need to be patient, and we need to love, and we need to remember. By looking back to the prophets, to Mary, to Jesus being born, to God's faithfulness to his people across history, and by looking forward to Jesus' return and to our eternal life with him, we see who God is, what God has done, and what he promises. In this, we can find joy. This joy and the sorrow of our earthly circumstances are experienced in tandem here in this in-between. I wanted to share two more short thoughts um, of things that I found as I was reading this week, or the last couple of weeks, and kind of relate to this idea of holding sorrow and joy together. Uh, the first is a quote by Brene Brown, who's a professor and author who studies uh, courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. Uh, she says this in talking about emotions. We cannot selectively numb emotions. When we numb the painful emotions, we also numb the positive emotions. In order for us to have joy this season, we need to have confidence in who God is, and we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to show us the beauty of Christ. But we also need to allow ourselves to to feel and acknowledge joy and sorrow. Because if we try to block out one of these, right, we block out our ability to know the other. Um, the second thing was a small phrase. I saw it on social media somewhere and it was like one of those, this person said to me that their therapist said to them. da, da, da. And so I don't know where the credit lies, um, but I thought it fit with this very well. Um, it said, uh, life is tragic and God is faithful. And it reminded me of this yes and time that we're living in here. Life is tragic and God is faithful. Yes, sorrow and joy. Joy and sorrow are not mutually exclusive. We can feel and experience both of them this time of year. By looking back and by looking forward, We see who God is, we see what God has done, what he promises, and in this is where we can find joy and the ability to rejoice this season and always. Will you guys pray with me?